before we be, begin, let us bow for a word of prayer. Our mighty God and our heavenly Father, we would not be honest if he would not come before you this evening hour with hearts full of gratitude for your grace, for your love, for your commitment to your promises, to your people, to those that desire to serve you, to those that seek you, to those that want to honor you. Lord, we have experienced blessing after blessing, from blessing to blessing, from grace to grace, each and every day, each and every evening. Lord, we have been blessed with many wonderful sermons, inspiration hours, special numbers, Bible class discussions, wonderful forums where we can focus our attention on things that are relevant to this day and age, to this generation. And yet, this evening, we come once again. We humbly come and ask, Lord, that, that you would not leave us, that you would continue to be with us even this very evening hour, that your Holy Spirit would be upon each and every one of us, but particularly your servant, that you would guide my thoughts and my words. Lord, we desire that those would elevate your name in the name of Jesus Christ above any, any other name in this universe. For this we're committed and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Allow me to adjust a little bit. It's been a while since I was here behind this pulpit last time. I forgot how bright it is. And I'm wondering how bright it's going to be when we stand before the Lord. But I will adjust. Ever since Mary and I started coming to camp on a regular basis, our children were we have two girls, for those of you that know us, were relatively young. Obviously, for us, coming from the West Coast, that was a commitment in resources, in time, in energy, getting to know a lot of people that at least I didn't know, coming from Yugoslavia. But from the very first visit in Pennsylvania, we realized the value and the benefit that though things may have not been the perfect in the sense of logistics and accommodation, we had to look beyond that. And we made a commitment that we will try to do this every year as our children were growing up. For we recognized that it is not just about us, but it was about the investment that we were making in, into our family. And it paid off, I would think. The Lord blessed the efforts. And as Brother David mentioned, I wait for the evening when we have the teen choir. I was in awe. First time I saw that in Pennsylvania camp in Juniata. And I'm in awe every camp that I come to. Not because they are youthful, they sing beautiful songs, and that is true. But this is our future. These are the future soldiers for the cross. 
And the next generation behind comes tomorrow morning. And we that are grandparents, those that have their grandchildren here, can't wait to sit in the front row and watch them. But with the long-term desire and prayer and hope that they also would one day grow up and serve the Lord. So I applaud and I commend those that have brought their children and grandchildren. And we're working on it, Mary and I. Because it is a commitment. But tonight, with the help of the Lord, I want to share a few words about a commitment beyond just coming to camp. Most of us are here, parents or grandparents, some single. I want to talk about what is it, how does God view our commitment to Him on a daily basis as we make choices. For commitment is not just this moment when we perhaps come to this point in life where the light of God's truth shines upon us like, like when Paul was going to Damascus and we just have no other response but to say, Yes, Lord. What is on the other side? I was wondering if I find time to talk to Brother David. Has he considered a virtual graphics maybe so we can just turn around 360 degrees and see what's on the other side? I know our attention is to this moment, to this point, because we have many that just sang here on this podium that are not converted. And I, that should be the focus. This is the future of our church. What are we doing to invest in their future? But it goes beyond that. That is the first step. I remember my late Uncle Steve Nenadov used to say so frequently, it is a lot easier to encourage and bring someone to Christ than to help them remain focused, faithful, committed, live for the Lord for the rest of their lives. Perhaps we're failing in, in mentorship, in discipleship, in focus groups, because this is where the rubber meets the road. The first step is the most important. But then the journey goes on. I love the book of Joshua. It is a book of new beginnings. When you think about the book of Joshua in a spiritual sense, it is about a life of a Christian. It is fill, filled with stories of victories, like Jericho, a story of sin of Achan, the defeat, the consequences of sin. In a spiritual sense, we are walking through this promised land. And what are we doing? How are we committed to the Lord? I desire with the help of the Lord to read a few verses from, again, Old Testament. I love the stories that they provide. Out of Second Chronicles chapter 16, it is a story of King Asa. Because I find that in the story of real lives, of how people lived and how God responded to their lives, that we can learn and glean wonderful lessons from which we can continue to serve and be committed to God. So 2 Chronicles chapter 16. 
I brought the help tool, just in case. In the sixth and thirtieth year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah to the intent that he might let none go out or come into Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought out silver and gold out of the treasure of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, that dwelt at Damascus, saying, There is a league or partnership between me and thee as there was between my father and thy father. Behold, I have sent thee silver and gold. Go break thy league with Basha, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. And Ben-Hadad hearkened unto the king Asa and sent the captains of the armies against the cities of Israel. And they smote Ijon and Dan and Abel-Maim and all the store cities of Naphtali. And it came to pass, when Basha heard it, that he left off building of Ramah and let his work cease. Then Asa the king took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and the timber thereof, where Basha was building, and he built there with Giba and Mizpah. And at that time, Hanan the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord, thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim a huge host with very, many, very, uh, many chariots and horsemen, yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thine hand. This is an anchor verse for tonight. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, showing himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect. And let's stop here for a second. That word perfect means at peace. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. With those whose heart is perfect, who have peace with God, who are loyal, who are committed to Him, wholly committed to Him. That's the meaning of that, that word in Hebrew. Last night we heard about God wanting our all, while well, He wants the whole commitment. He's saying He's strong with those who who love him, who serve him, who are fully committed to him, fully or perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolish, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Then Asa wroth with the seer and put him in prison house, for he was enraged with him because of this thing. And Asa oppressed some of the people the same time. And behold, the acts of Asa first and last, lo, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel, and Asa in the thirty and ninth year of his reign was diseased in the feet until his disease was exceeding great. Yet in his disease he saw not the Lord, but went to the physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers and died in the one and fortieth year of his reign. And they buried him in his own sepulcher, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And and laid him in the bed, which was filled with sweet odors and diverse kinds of spices prepared by the apothecaries. 
and they are made at very great burning and made a made very great burning for him. So we read the entire chapter. Thousand years before Jesus walked on this earth, King David ruled the entire king, kingdom of Israel as we know it. After him, his son Solomon reigned, and he was still a united kingdom. But as God has prophesied, if you will, through his prophets and commanders, that the kingdom will be split. And so it became two kingdoms, Judah and Benjamin, the south, known as the kingdom of Judah, and the remaining ten tribes, known as the kingdom of Israel, were up on north. If you read the first and second kings, you will note that a lot of emphasis is on the king, kings of Israel, northern kingdom. But the chronicles are putting more emphasis on the kings of Judah, for through that lineage, Messiah was to come. And we will not be surprised that we find three chapters written in the book of Chronicles about this one king, Asa. And so what we want to discuss tonight, because he came after the kingdom was split, Jeroboam was the first uh, king of the king, kingdom of Judah, then Abijah, his father, for only three years, and then Asa came. So this is very soon after they, they split. But to go a little bit back, to just introduce Asa, I want to read just a few verses out of the chapter 14 and 15, just to give you a glimpse how Asa started his life. You love to read Chronicles or the Kings when it starts and it says, And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. If the Chronicles were written or the testimonies were written for your life or my life, would it say that the same thing? For he took away the altars of the strange gods. We had message last night, a very powerful message on, on, on idol and idol worship. So here we see it just continues to proliferate throughout Israel, throughout the centuries. He says, For he took away altars of the strange gods and the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves and commanded Judah. Now this, this is important. Commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandments or to observe the law and the commandments. He commanded that the people would seek God. And say so it says that he built fenced cities in Judah for the land, had rest, and he had no war in those years because the Lord gave him rest. You see how it works? It says he started good. He encouraged, he cut the idols. He started encouraging people to worship God, to serve God, and to obey God. And God gave him peace. So he's building up the cities. So he said to Judah, let us build these cities because we have sought the Lord, our God. We have sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. I'm jumping verses just so that I can give you the, the context of the three chapters. But as he has done this, as life would have it, enemy would come and attack. He used the time of peace. He built up the army. He had 580,000 uh, warriors. But there came an army of million people against him out of Egypt. He deployed the army. He did not sit. 
in his castle and say, Lord, you take care of it. He went out. He was ready. He was prepared. But he recognized that there was no way that they can win that battle. And he pleaded with the Lord. He says, For we rest on thee and thy name. We go against this multitude, O Lord. Thou art our God. Let not men prevail against thee. And God gave them victory. God gave them victory. And he says in the chapter 15, as they were coming back, they were victorious. They, they chased after the, the, the army and got a lot of spoil and, and a lot of war uh, uh, from that war and were returning home. And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all the Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. This word, seek him, keeps coming up. They're just victorious after a battle with a large army. And the God is sending a messenger to tell him, don't, don't be glowing in your victories. Don't forget about what the primary focus in, your, in, in purpose is, and that is to continue to seek the Lord. And so later on, it says, they, Asa was touched with that, and it says, they entered into a covenant, commitment, agreement, to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul, that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death. We have a problem telling a brother or sister if we see them erring from, from the way of truth. You didn't follow this. You were put to death. He was so courageous and so encouraged with what God has done for him. God, God showed himself strong on his behalf. That he says, and he also concerning Maka, the mother of Asa, which is a grandmother, it says mother, but it's re really his grandmother. He removed her from being a queen. Taking down a queen. A grandmother. Because she built an idol in her own home. And that was not going to happen. So you kind of wonder. Here is, he does this for 35 years. Wonderful example. But then it says, And there was no more war until the 5 and 30th year of the reign of Asa. This is the story of Asa. He did wonderful for 35 years. But what, what happened? In the 36th year, the way things were really developing, because for 35 years he served the Lord faithfully, he was focusing on what God was asking him to do. And I will spend a few more minutes on what does this really mean to seek the Lord in the context of this chapter, this portion of the scripture, because that's how it applies to us today. As he was faithful and obedient, God gave him victories against large armies. God gave him peace. He fortified the cities. He built the army. He was prepared. You have to understand, this is a physical comparison to the spiritual warfare that we have today. God allowed him to be ready, to be prepared. He did wonderful. But then, 
because of that, people from northern kingdom were so attracted to what they saw was going down, down in Judah, they started moving down into Judah. And the king of Israel says, not a chance. We're not going to have that. People were being attracted to what was going on in Judah. Are people being attracted to what they see in our lives, in our churches, in our families? And the enemy would say, no, I don't want that. I don't want people going to serve God. So that's where king of Israel, these are brethren, same family of tribes, he sends an army against King Asa. But this is, this is where the failure takes place. He's comfortable. He's got a money. He's got an army. And this king did not send a huge army, so he's, he feels he doesn't need to consult with the Lord. He can just take care of things on his own. The worldly wisdom. I'll send some money to king of Syria. I'll bribe him because he's now, right now, in a partnership with king of Israel. But I'll send him gold and silver. I'll buy his protection. I'll buy his bodyguard, as somebody mentioned about current day evangelists. They'll get involved. And that's what he did. And this is where God sent the message. Very strong message that applies to us today. I love this verse. I spent last year so much time studying this verse that started off with the verse of the day, devotional that led into a study of the entire section that led into a study. What does it mean to seek God? But I love this verse. Do I feel that God is strong on my behalf in my life? He says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the entire earth to show himself strong, to show himself in our lives that he is for us. We are on his side. Whose heart, it is about the heart, is committed, fully committed to him, loyal to him. Just to give you a little bit of highlights, the instruction that Asa was giving to people of Israel, how does, uh, of Judah, and how does that apply to us? In the context of the Hebrew text of this portion of the scripture, the Hebrew word for seek in this context is not the same like in the New Testament, Christ says, I came to seek that which is lost. And as I did a study of, do we seek after God or does God seek after us? That's a separate sermon all itself. That led me to this portion. And the Hebrew word here, it says, literally means to trample underfoot. The picture is that of a frequent, frequenting a place so often that you beat a path there. The verb has the nuance of seeking with care and inquiring after knowledge, insight, or advice on a problem. So the idea is carefully to pursue the Lord as the source of all wisdom and holiness. 
So it's not just some magical go in the woods and see if you can find God. This is a very comprehensive word that has so much meaning. So what does it mean for you and I today to seek God? It means first and foremost obedience to God's word. You heard what they said. They committed to be obedient to God's word and his instruction and to observe it. And those that were disobedient were put to death. That is a pretty harsh thing. It is obedience to God's word. And let me tell you, there is no personal revival without going to the base, back to the basics. And that's God's word. Knowing it, having pleasure in it, studying it, but beyond that. What does the psalmist say? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I would not sin against thee. It doesn't say, thy word have I memorized. But I hid in my heart because the issues of the heart, the actions come and the direction come from our hearts. The influences are from the outside, but the direction and counsel come from God and his word and his spirit. To seek the Lord means to separate from known evil. I think we heard a wonderful message last night. I would only add that as Brother Allen has highlighted, things that are clearly sinful and evil are perhaps very easy to identify. But there are so many other things in our lives that could become idols that we don't even recognize. They're subtle our pursuit of career where we spend enormous amount of time at work to get a better pay, to get more money, to have a bit more comfortable life at the neglect of family or at the neglect of being, being in a church on Sunday because I'm too tired, I'm working six days, 12 hours a day. It could be a time that we perhaps have free that we're spending on whatever. I don't have a Facebook account, but all I hear is a Facebook, so I'm just going to mention it. There are a lot of things that are not sinful in and of themselves, but over-excessive involvement and time spending in these little gadgets and these little things. And I am guilty just as many of you, perhaps. My dear wife reminds me of, of my addictions with iPad and phone and whatever. So we all have them. So don't think even these things that are not sinful in and of themselves, they rob us of that time that we should be investing in other things for God. Seeking the Lord means fortifying our lives against spiritual danger. See, when Asa had peace from God, he went and fortified cities. He knew that the war eventually would come. The enemy would eventually would come. What are we doing to fortify our spiritual houses? I tell you, as I've observed, living here now since 1977 in the States, as guilty as many others perhaps, pursuing a good career, good life, and when there's an opportunity of, of some quiet time and extra income, where are we going to go, where are we going to travel, what, what expansion on the house we're going to make, what renovation on the house we're going to make, and so on, so forth, so forth. Those are all normal things that are part of life. But then we stop and ask, are those things helping us fortify our spiritual house, personal, family, church, and otherwise? Brother Mirko shared his trip to Africa. Wow. 
I'm not saying that God's going to invite and call each and every one of us to go to Africa or to go to a foreign country, but there are so many places that we can invest in our own fortification of spiritual home, but it takes a sacrifice. You've got to give up some of your time, some of your resource. We talked about in forums about lack of discipleship and lack of us older spending time with the younger, providing that direction, providing that, that relationship. Fortify your spiritual houses, personally speaking to myself, while there is health and peace and while you have time. Now the proverb says, if you are slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. If you wait to be spiritually strong when there is a spiritual attack, you will falter. I will falter. I've experienced it. To seek the Lord means trusting in the Lord, not in the methods. We got so many books on how to. If I struggle with something, how to fix something, I, I just call Joe and Joe sends me a YouTube clip and I can fix things. That's very helpful. But the battle that Asa was facing was not an issue of conventional worldly wisdom buying the protection. It was an issue of trusting the God who saved him from an army that was twice as large just a few years back. But it was easy forgotten because when we get comfortable and we have ability, whether it's resources, whether we're educated, whether we're whatever, have a high IQ, we start depending on our own methods. Not trusting in God himself. We need to trust him. We need to trust Christ with everything we have and everything we are. Committing ourselves to worship the Lord. You cannot worship God without sacrifice. There is no way. If you remember David, towards the end of his life, he faltered. He requested that the army be counted, census be, be held, and God was displeased with, with that. God was displeased also with, with Israel and intended to uh, chastise Israel, but in a way... Through this act, he just kind of initiated. But again, we're not going to go into details of that. But when, all the, when the plague went through, and when it all was done, God told him to go and erect an altar where the actual temple later on is going to be built. And the man that possessed the land and had oxen and wood there, he says, hey, you're the king. Just take everything, please. But he says, no. I would never sacrifice anything that doesn't cost me. I would not provide a sacrifice that doesn't cost me anything. That should be our model. In what form does a sacrifice in worship come? Well, coming to camp to have this enjoyment, it is a sacrifice. We have to take time from our busy lives. We have to invest in travel, in uh, accommodation costs. That is a part of the exercise. Coming to church... Part of the worship. That is a sacrifice. But that is what God expects from us. The true worship must cost us something. And it should be done with delight, with gratitude. 
Now with grumbling. Oh no, again we have something going on. David says, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which costs me nothing. 2 Samuel 24, 24. If we seek him, he's saying, he will strongly support us. He will be there with us. Does that mean if we don't seek him, he's suddenly... The way the Hebrew language goes and was translated, he says, I'm going to cut you off. We know that a lot of the covenants in the Old Testament were conditional. But in essence, as, as Brother Allen pointed out, if we neglect to be committed to this, God is saying, I will discipline you. I love you and I care for you that I, I will discipline you. God's discipline, if we forsake him, in other words, if we neglect on these pursuits of seeking him, and this is, this is the entire, our being, yeah? all aspects of it, in the word, in the deed, in our worship, and so on and so forth. If we forsake him, he will first use traditionally a verbal warning. A sermon this week may have touched your heart. I don't know. A brother may approach you and talk to you. A song you may hear. A word you may read in, in the scripture. The Spirit may come upon you and say, Hey, what have you been doing? But remember that God's discipline and warning, it's not just when we commit a sin. When Asa was coming back from that battle, God sent a prophet to caution him. He says, Seek me. Be faithful to me, and I will be strong for you and with you, never to leave you. He wasn't just warn warning him when he committed a sin. Spirit, Holy Spirit is not condemning us or whatever, warning us and disciplining us just when we do something wrong. The Holy Spirit is there to tell us when we do, do not do anything or when we try to maybe de depend too much on our own wits. God's discipline sometimes involves problems to cause us to, to turn to him. It doesn't mean that every problem we face in life can be tracked back to our disobedience. No. Often, God will send problem challenges in life, wars. That's what the what prophet Hanan told Asa. From now on, you shall have wars. In this case, you will have challenges. Often God sends these challenges not because we have done something wrong, but he wants us to be more like Jesus. He's testing us. He's building us up. He's encouraging us that we look to him and trust to him. So we have to examine ourselves. Psalm 139, <clears throat> search me, O God. How often do I ask God to search me, to search my heart, see if there be any wicked way in me? We think we're all doing good. But that's the first step. If there is a challenge, Lord, please show me where have I gone astray? 
humble ourselves, ask God to show us the, the error of our way. And if that's not the case, then we know that God is building us up to make us more like Christ. Discipline sometimes involves illness. Again, same principles. Not every illness is a result of a sin. So many are experiencing illness these days. God forbid that I would attribute that this is a cause of sin. But same examination always goes through our lives. We need to know where our heart stands in relationship to God. In this case, again, another failure. Asa, for 35 years, has seen God so strong, so powerful for him and on his behalf. And he's now sick. I believe it was a gout. And he's not seeking. The writer was encouraged to document. He says he did not seek God's help. I praise God that we have technology today and medical developments and science development developments that can help us. But the first source in any, in any challenge in life is God. The first source is God. And then we pursue other. We don't go to doctors first and then when things fail, then we go to God. We recognize that He is sovereign. We acknowledge that we can put a complete trust in Him. Our entire being, our entire life. And unfortunately, it sometimes involves death. You can read that even in Corinthians about the Holy Communion. It says, that because of this, many of among you are asleep. That's a word in, in Christian language for passed away. God forbid that that would be the case. So, we have commitment from God that He is strong with us, that He will be there for us and with us all along the way, that He desires from us complete commitment and loyalty, not just when we enter through this door of grace into the fellowship not just the moment when we can be called the sons and daughters of the living God but each and every day that we would start a day with communion with God that we would build, build, build that path to God like the word Hebrew word says you know I envision a hill with a beautiful tree and a nice little bench underneath and you, you see it in your hiking and you go and you walk up there and you're just thrilled he said, this is going to become my favorite place. And the next time you go, maybe you take a different route and a different route. But eventually there is a path. You can see that the grass is flat. That you've beaten the path to God. I don't do that. That's what he wants. Because that's where it starts. We can't talk about commitment of church and everything. A commitment comes from the individuals. When we talk about lack of attendance in a church and lack of this, lack of apathy, the commitment comes within an individual. 
It starts with the personal commitment or recommitment to God and His purposes and His service. And I know we cannot do that on our own. That's why He has given us the Holy Spirit. That's why He has promised us that He will never leave us nor forsake us. But He's cautioning us even through the stories of Old Testament that when we falter, when we fail to keep that part of our commitment, he expressed a desire to truly continue to live and serve him each and every day. He will come. He's a loving father. He will chastise us. Sometimes we need a two by four, but that's okay. It's all for good reasons. It's all for good reasons. For he has an end game in mind. That we have entrusted our soul salvation into his hands. He's not going to just let us go. So, faith and obedience are partners in the commitment. There's nothing without that. When we entered through that, if you want to call this door, into the fellowship with Christ and God, by grace through faith, we made that step of faith. I did this 38 years ago. And I can tell you, that yes, just like the book of Joshua, I've had victories, I have defeats, but I would never, never, never say that I made a mistake. I've seen God's grace upon me and my family when I felt that I least deserved it. Because that's what grace is. It's not what I've done. When our children, because of coming to camp and being touched here by the Lord, by His grace, wanted to be baptized, it was a time in my life where I resisted serving God. <clears throat> I'm sorry. And I told my wife, how can I? How can I say no to a God that is so gracious even when I'm not? So I said, Lord, from this day forward, I don't care what you ask me to do. Where you send me, I will be committed to you. I will serve you. I will do whatever it takes that I remain loyal to you. He has never failed me. Was it easy? No. Is it getting easier? No. But he's there. He's committed to be with me. He's strong with me. I feel it. I know it. I see it. Christ is so faithful to his promises. We just have to trust him. Joshua said, it's for me and my house we will serve the Lord. 
And with God's help and by his grace, I want to say for me and my house, we want to serve and trust the Lord and Jesus Christ until the day he returns. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Father, indeed, thou hast committed to us in that thou hast come down in the flesh and put thy life on the line. And we find it so hard to commit to thee. We pray that as we would consider our lives and the many blessings that you have given us, that we would but do our reasonable service out of love to give back to thee just a small portion of what you have given for us. In whom, in Christ, in whom we can pray. Amen.